what we're obsessing about right now is when we do re-enter, whenever that is, we're going to have people split between being in office and being at home. And how do we force this level playing field? And trying to get very creative about when people come back in, we don't want this to kind of have this feel like we revert back to the way we were, that being in the office is kind of a little better than being at home because more access to people, you have more of the side conversations, you know, there's more leaders there for you to like talk to and that kind of thing. We just, we wanna, we wanna try to engineer and architect a different experience so people don't feel compelled to come back in the office if they don't want to because they feel like they're missing out on something. Welcome to the Best Self-Management Podcast. I'm David Hassel. And I'm Shane Metcalf. Me and David have been working together along with our co-founder, Nazar, and all the amazing other people that are a part of 15.5 for the last seven years. And we are not the same people that we were seven years ago. One of the things we're a big stand for is like, how do we actually embrace the whole person and understand that can we support someone in thriving in their whole life? And if we do, then they're probably going to contribute more at work. Your mission is to attract the best talent, retain your high performers, and maximize everyone's potential. Welcome to 15.5's Best Self-Management Podcast. I'm David Hassel, and Shane Metcalf, my co-host, is out today. My guest today is Jennifer Christie. I am very, very excited to have Jennifer on the show. Jennifer is the VP of People and Chief Human Resources Officer at Twitter. She leads the global people team and works with the executive management team, as well as the board of directors, to support the strategic direction of the company. Specifically, Jennifer oversees talent acquisition and management, diversity and inclusion, people systems and analytics, organizational and performance management, training and development, and total rewards and mobility. Welcome, Jennifer. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm so curious with the recent announcement under COVID that Twitter was going to be working from home forever, essentially, or allowing people who can do that. That sounded like it made a lot of headlines and it was a really bold move. I'm really curious, what went into that decision and and how's it going now that we're in a couple of months? I would say that it definitely got a, a lot of headlines and a lot of splash, but internally, it was something that we've been talking about for the last couple of years. So a couple of years ago, as part of this broader workforce strategy, we looked forward and we, we recognized that there's definitely a growing number of, of people who want to work remotely or want flexible options. I mean, you see companies now coming online, they're fully remote. You know, they bypass the office, you know, from day one. We saw that and we said, listen, if we don't start kind of shifting and being, you know, we're very office centric. We started out very office centric like a lot of Silicon Valley offices are and said, if we want to be able to attract and retain this growing employee base that, that is building very, very rapidly, we've got to start shifting our culture. We've got to start shifting how we work if we're going to be more inclusive of, of that type of work style. And so we've been building on this for a while. So when we shifted in March to work, working full-time because of COVID, there were a lot of things we still needed to work on, but it was more of a natural shift because it accelerated us into a, down a path that we were already on. And this concept of, you know, as people think about returning back to work and do people want to come back to offices, you know, given everything that, that's going on and how people feel about maybe being in that office environment again, we just reiterated that, you know, we've always had this option for people to, to raise their hand. It's called our flexible work program. They could either move offices, so change where they work, take, keep their job exactly the same as it is, but just go to a different city. And we facilitated even moves across borders with, with this program. Also, you know, if people want to work from home full time, we've been able to facilitate that too. So internally, it was more of just a reiteration of like, 
Maybe you didn't want to work remotely full-time before, but it's still an option for you. And if you changed your mind, let us know. Huh, that's great. You know, I don't know if you know this, but actually 15.5 actually got our start in the Twitter building. We worked out of the, the runway space above the market there on the corner uh, in San Francisco for a long time. But, you know, now we're, we're fully distributed as well. I'm curious, you know, you guys have a beautiful piece of real estate there. So how does that, how is that going to change your thinking around the physical offices? You know, how we're thinking differently about our physical offices is how they'll be used. You know, we don't foresee right now that we're going to be in a situation where we're going to be fully remote. Before COVID, we had the majority of our people who worked from an office most of the time. We had a pretty small single digits percentage of our employee were were working full-time remote. And it was funny, about a month into our time, so mid-April after, you know, we sent everyone home kind of early March. And in in the middle of April, we did a Pulse survey. We did a survey. Um, We do a number of these. Uh, We we send out these these surveys to just get our hand on the pulse of what's happening with our people, how are they feeling. This one was very targeted to how's it going, working from home, like what's working, what's not, you know, just to get a sense of that. And we also asked in that survey, what do you want to do post-COVID? You know, has this changed your idea of, of work styles? And it was fascinating because we had people who said pre-COVID, they were mostly in the office. We went down to 10% of people who said they wanted to be in office full-time. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, then our number of people who wanted to be full-time remote tripled. This big growing in the middle though, just kind of you just see it shift, shift across, was people who wanted to split their time. They still wanted that connection at some point, whether it's one or four days, in the office. They didn't want to completely give that up. They did really enjoy working from home. And this was, remember, like a month in where there's a lot of people who still were figuring it out. We're doing another, we just launched another survey as a follow-up to that. So I'm very eager to see what happens at the end of this month in terms of how people's perceptions and mindset have continued to shift. I suspect that migration will continue to change. But that said, you know, we still see value in our office spaces. We're very people organization, we just may use them differently. You know, instead of, you know, everyone having a dedicated desk, have more collaboration spaces, more social interaction spaces. So when people come into the office, they're doing it for a very specific reason versus just being their routine. Yeah, that makes sense. Were you surprised by that, that so many people would embrace working from home and actually like it to some degree? I definitely was surprised, especially given where we were in that whole transition, because it was like a month and a half in, there were, we didn't know how long this was going to last. So we had a lot of people who were kind of waiting it out. They weren't investing. Like we had given a productivity budget and a lot of resources to support people working from home that people hadn't quite started taking up yet. Because I think there are a lot of people who be like, this is going to end soon. I'm just going to get back in the office. And the fact, this is not a normal remote working situation. No, right. I mean, people had their kids at home. Schools were starting to close. You couldn't go to restaurants. You couldn't do the normal things that you would do to balance your life. So I thought it was going to be the exact opposite. I thought this was going to take our total decentralization strategy and put it on its head and get us you know, way, way farther back and have us to undo a lot of feelings about working from home. And in fact, it accelerated us. Uh, wow. us. I, just, I, was, I was very surprised. Huh. It's pretty amazing. I'm, I'm in this peer group of fast growth SaaS CEOs and... The thing I was most surprised at in hearing from the other CEOs was how surprisingly easy they found it getting transitioning to actually get work done and how I think only 10% of those CEOs are saying we're going to keep our offices as they are. Anyone who has a lease right now is letting them go. Other people are looking to downsize and repurpose space like you mentioned. 
But the one theme that keeps coming up is this concern around, or at least they're hearing from their employees, around that emotional connection and that social connection people have. And in some cases, feeling like the the communication has gotten a little bit harsher, especially, I mean, we're all under so much stress. I'm curious if you guys are seeing something similar and, you know, how do you think about engineering some of the that natural human emotional social connection that we all need in a world where everyone's working remote? Maybe I'll touch on one thing you said first before I, I jump into that around the ability for people to change and pivot into this way of working. HR folks are often the leaders of change and initiatives and all that. We have our process, you know, our change curves and, you know, we take, bring people on a journey. We have all these things that we do that mainly focus on the what and the when and the how. And I will tell you what a huge learning for me around all this around change has been nail the why. If you nail the why, you can make change happen very quickly. You know, even the naysayers at our, at our company who were like, I don't, I don't know that I really think this is going to work. You know, when we were doing the flexible work program, we said, we want you to be safe. We want the communities you live in to be safe. And that's paramount for us. We need you to go home. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, and so they, they totally were on board with the why and the what yeah. and the how and the when didn't matter as much, you know? And so I just think nailing the why I think is often missed when you think about change. Their question around how do you make sure that we keep those human interactions and especially for a company like Twitter that, that you ask most people what they love the most about Twitter, it's the people at Twitter. They love their colleagues. It feels like family and even our office spaces are very residential. And so some of the things that we did take a step back is because we said like, the culture and the mental and emotional well-being of our people has been top of mind for me. Those are the two things that kind of keep me up at night along with many other things, but those are, those are always there. Twitter has a special culture and a lot of it is around social interaction and engaging with each other. And so we, we took a step back and said, what are those things that really bring us together that we've got to nail? And one of them was we have monthly one team meetings. About every year and a half or so, we bring everyone together physically and we had just done this in Houston in January. We brought everyone around the globe together, you know, just for a week of meeting together, social interaction, you know, aligning on our purpose and mission and goals and all of that. And so very social company. And the one team meetings that we normally have, like every month, we would broadcast out of San Francisco. And so in our big commons area and they'd you know, be broadcast around the world. And we always thought they were really special. But now that we're doing them 100% virtually, we find out they're more special. Yeah, the people in the room felt great. They could feel the vibe and you know, they probably were more likely to go to the mic and ask a question, that kind of thing. But now every, it's a level playing field. Everyone's shared experience. They have the same access. And I will say too, we, have, we stream it and we, we're on a hangout, we stream it. But we also have a running Slack channel for all of our meetings so people can respond to what's happening and ask questions. And it definitely has a lot more transparency and accountability about answering those questions because everyone can see what everyone's asking around the, you know, everyone's on that Slack channel. So there's no cherry picking questions to answer or, you know, like, oh, that came through. I'm not going to look at that. You know, I mean, it's like you answer everything. And um, people are saying now that they, they really hope, even when we're, you know, migrate back to the office and there's more people in the offices that we've still run our one teams like that. That's one thing. The other thing I'll mention is Hack Week. So you know, Twitter was born out actually out of a hack week at a, at a previous company where Jack was, he hacked his way into imagining Twitter. So hack week is very core to our culture where we come together and teams like take a step away from their day job for a week and really think about what's next innovation 
you know, what problem can they solve together? And that has always been like a big core culture to us. You know, we do that, you know, people come together in the offices and they show their, what they do for all week. They have these kind of exhibits and all that, but how we're going to do this virtually. Again, they figured the team figured it out and everyone loved it because these people could collaborate with each other across the globe. They didn't just have to be in the offices with each other. Everyone got to see everyone's projects. Um, and so I, I think there's things coming out of this that actually drive our culture even more than we could have expected virtually. That's amazing. That's really amazing. You already had this decentralized strategy in place. It feels like in some ways this COVID experiment has accelerated some of the, you know, the learning around that. And I love the idea around, you know, when you have the right why, the what and the when and the how, you know, they can kind of fall into place a little bit easier. It's, it, I think it's really the why that galvanizes us. I, I don't know if you've ever heard Simon Sinek or seen his TED Talk or book Start With Why, but he'd be very happy to hear you say that. I'm curious now, you know, the combination between moving forward with this decentralization and re-entry with COVID, how do you see those two things playing? And, you know, we, and we may not have a real re-entry for another year or so, hopefully. How do you see those two things playing? And what does the future look like that, that you think is going to be different and that you've learned from, from this period that's going to help? Before COVID and before we entered into this experiment, you know, we really kind of grouped our work styles into, you know, your full-time in the office, your full-time at home, or you might work remotely a few days a week. I think there's another work style that's emerging that's probably going to be pretty big for us, whereas you're remote, but you're also engaging in the office. And not maybe every week. It's not a regular kind of schedule, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or something like that. It's that social connection. You use the office in a different way, where when you want to have social interaction and you want to engage with your colleagues, you just pop in. At this point, we have offices across the globe. So a lot of people, even if they aren't, coming into the office every day to have proximity to an office to come in when, when they want to. Our big challenge is how do we continue to create this level playing field? Because that's been the big learning for us. And the thing that has been so powerful about everyone being on the same page, we've always been a very heavy video meeting culture. One-on-ones to big meetings, everything's a video. We don't do anything on a telephone or over a polycom or any of that kind of stuff. And going into this environment, we thought, ah, it'll be more of the same. But it's been different because you no longer have the people in the room in an office, you know, you 10 to 20 people in a meeting room and you have a couple of people on the hangout that are trying to speak and aren't heard and they aren't here in the sidebar conversation, that kind of thing. So people are really enjoying this kind of, like I said, level playing field. So as we think about more people, and it, it's easier to create a level playing field when everybody's remote, right? Yes, it's, it really is. Everyone has a shared experience. What we're obsessing about right now is when we do re-enter, whenever that is, we're going to have people split between being in office and being at home. And how do we force this level playing field? And trying to get very creative about when people come back in, we don't want this to kind of have this feel like we revert back to the way we were, that being in the office is kind of a little better than being at home because you have more access to people. You have more of the side conversations. You know, there's more leaders there for you to like, talk to and that kind of thing. We just, we want to, we want to try to engineer and architect a different experience so people don't feel compelled to come back in the office if they don't want to, because they feel like they're missing out on something. Right. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, one of the things we learned, cause we built 15.5 on Zoom and Slack and our own product 15.5. 
And uh, we ended up having multiple offices pretty, pretty soon and, and had that issue where we have these conference rooms, you had like 10 people on a camera and then everybody else on their individual laptops kind of looking at this group and you can't quite make out who everybody is. So we adopted a culture that even for our all hands meetings and things, or if you're in a conference, every person has their own laptop with their own video, even if we're sharing one mic. And that way, you know, you still have that experience. And that's, that's one of the things that's worked really well for us in that regard. Well, you know, it's funny that I'm glad you said that because one of the things that we are trying to learn from is companies like yours that are really more remote first, because there's lots of things we have to think about from a scale perspective and the fact that we didn't start out that way. It's a lot harder to change than to start out that way in, in some ways, but there are lots of things we can learn like that, you know, so we're, we're talking to companies that are full, fully remote to say that, how do you build relationships? How do you think about career progression? How do you work effectively asynchronously? That is definitely one of the things that we're challenged at because people are very used to working together like real time and face-to-face. And we found one of the things that I mentioned that survey earlier, one of the things that really popped on that survey was the fact that people were dying from being in meetings all day. They'd already had meetings on their calendar, but now working remotely, suddenly so many more were popping up because just to try to get work done and just to kind of engage with people socially and all of that stuff, it just was was starting to bury everybody. And so we said, okay, what can we do to fix this? And and really started to push asynchronous working and making sure that people didn't feel like everything they did had to be on a video and eye to eye and and things like that and being very intentional. We put some strict meeting guidelines on if you don't have an agenda, if you don't have a pre-read document, if you don't have these things, you can't call a meeting. Like Oh, that's good. Yeah. Like that. But yeah, we're learning a lot from companies like yours who who have nailed this. And there's, there's lots that we can take away about how we keep this level playing field. Yeah, that's great. Curious also about how do you think about, cause when we were chatting before, you know, I'd learned about camp Twitter and, you know, kind of this very people first culture you have and camp Twitter being this virtual camp for employees, kids and resources for parents. Um, how do you think about supporting people in this time? You had mentioned earlier about, you know, some of us have, have young kids at home. I do. And that's really, uh, can be really challenging. I know there's a lot of fear about whether we're going to be able to send our kids back to school in the fall and what that's going to mean for the working parents. But just in general of supporting people through this really stressful time, whether they have kids or they have roommates or they have, you know, their young SDRs working, you know, from home with their parents or whatnot. How do you think about creating more, more support and resilience and where do you guys choose to invest? I know it's, it's great. It's definitely been top of mind for us and something that very quickly, we recognize that, and I think this is going to change HR forever, honestly, in that we've always had this line of, this is where we take care of you. Like, obviously, we take care of you when you're in the office. And there's some things that, that bleed over into your personal life, in terms of like health benefits and things like that. But otherwise, when you're not in the office and you're not working, it's kind of, that's your deal. This really changed that. Um, we suddenly were getting very involved in people's personal lives because work and their personal lives were so overlapping and everyone was seeing it, right? It was playing out for everybody. You couldn't not know what was, what was happening. And so we really started thinking about how do we become more flexible with our benefits? Things, easy things like our wellness benefit, you know, was for things like gym membership and things like that, that were now closed. We never really allowed those kind of benefits to be used for buying home equipment because like, Oh, home equipment, that's kind of your deal. Not so much anymore, right? People still needed that, that wellness, that outlet. 
and they, they weren't able to have it somewhere and they were looking to us to say like, how can we help them? Dependent care benefits and flexible work schedules, especially for parents who, who are finding, you know, they really needed much more flexibility in their ability to like do homeschooling and to be with their kids and to split their time. And when people are coming into office in the morning and leaving it in the afternoon or evening, it's easy to have those kind of visual cues of like someone's at work, someone's not at work. <laughs> right, yeah. It's kind of like, oh, they've already left. I'm not going to bother them. Or they haven't gotten here yet. You know, wait till they get here. And without that, people were just working 24-7 and no one felt like they had any boundaries. And the team working agreements together so people could communicate and be very intentional about like, this is when I'm going to be on and this is where I'm going to be off. And the Camp Twitter thing really came from the fact that after we had really gone through all of our benefits and started to, to move them into more of a, like, how can we expand how they support people's broader lives? We said, what are we still missing? And the thing that really came out, we've done a lot of listening sessions with our Twitter parents. We have a business research group, Twitter parents. We did actually a survey specifically for parents um, when we did that survey in April that, that was over on top of that to say, like, tell us what else is working, what's not. And th- there was just a lot of uh, need to help with um, schooling and just, just, just the balance of we have so much more on our plates. And so when we started hearing from that, our BRG about the fact that, okay, it's been hard to homeschool, but now the kids are going to be loose all day, you know, without much to do, without, you know, camps to go to and whatnot. And it was starting to feel really daunting. So we said, the team said, you know, let's, let's figure out how we can help engage the parents' kids during this time, because it's all part of the same thing. We're all one company, we're all one team. And the more that we can help them out, the more we help everybody out. And so the Camp Twitter is an program where we have resources. We've leveraged a platform called OutSchool where parents can select different courses for their kids, have our tweets doing things that are live, like cooking classes and yoga classes and even like musical recitals and things like that. And then we have um, some, some things specifically for parents as well around training on homeschooling, on e-learning and just wellness, you know, how they can um, find ways to, you know, mental health, wellness, emotional wellness, physical wellness, all those things that really help support them. So I just think we're going to be in this business now. The line has moved over. We're just going to be much more involved in the personal lives of our employees. Yeah, I love hearing that. You know, I think that, uh, you know, I think there always is a line at some point, right? But the ethos of our company, why we founded, you know, 15.5 was on this belief that if we can really create organizations that support our people in thriving in their whole lives, not just their work lives, they're going to be more alive at work. They're going to be contributing more and be able to to do their best work. And so... I love that that I'm not happy about the the situation that we're all in because of that, but the you know the things that's forcing us all to look at, I think are really, really positive. I'm curious, you know in, in your bio, we said you know you're both the VP of people and the Chief Human Resources Officer, and you also mentioned that you work with both the executive team and the board. You know, I think at a lot of organizations, HR people still feel like they don't have enough clout and they're not seen as a real strategic partner to the to the CEO and the board. And it sounds like you are. So I'm curious, how does that show up? In what way do you feel that, uh, you know, the board is taking people strategy at that level? I'm curious how that that works at Twitter. Twitter is, a, is really special in the sense that we come across as a big company, but we are very lean as an organization relative to other companies. And so there's there's not a lot of hierarchy. There's a lot of accessibility among leadership and all through the ranks. People can email Jack, 
DM him you know, or anyone, anyone on staff and people can have a voice. So I definitely feel um, like I've got a seat at the table. I'm meeting that just with the senior leadership, but, and the board is very accessible and very engaged in things related to people. So every board meeting, there's a whole section on people and we, we go through that and have conversations. We have different topics that we cover with them that are of interest. That diversity inclusion is always top of mind for them. So we always do special presentations on that as well. But um, yeah, it is, uh, I definitely feel like the senior leadership and the board do more than just give lip service to people issues. They recognize what a strategic driver the people team can be and how important our tweets are. And I didn't need to convince them of that. They already knew that. And our, our service is about people, our company is about people. And so it's easy to be able to drive efforts and have them be right there beside you. Yeah. Have you worked in organizations where, where that wasn't as elevated to that level? I feel like it's, it's less about the organizations. It's almost like the evolution of HR. HR started out as personnel, um, especially in Silicon Valley. I think HR was definitely like, oh, it's someone to hire and pay people. You know, it was definitely not seen as, as a strategic partner. It was a more administrative function. Even in, outside of tech, HR had a slower road to being more of a thought partner and a strategic driver. And I do think, especially in Silicon Valley, over the last few years with all the issues that have been coming up that are very employee-based, I think there's a lot of companies like, oh, HR, yeah, I think we probably need to invest more here and have teams that can help us more. I do also think, you know, being in tech more than I've seen in other industries, there is a, such a reliance on data and analytics and in, HR, in the HR space, that started out as reporting, and then they got a little bit into, oh, let's do surveys. But now, people analytics is a real thing. And I've got a really awesome team, and it's the insights that we get in terms of what's happening and are able to track. And we're actually very transparent with our data, um, with, our, with our folks. Transparency is definitely something core to our culture, too. Very similar to our service in terms of, like, everything is available and on there and open. And it's transparent. It holds people accountable. It makes sure everyone's on the same page. But the insights that we get from that analytics also gives us a real seat at the table. And, and I will say that there's four core objectives that we are tracking for the next three years. One of them is, is about people. It's about our decentralization strategy, which is about diversity and talent. And the whole company is signed up for that. So it's not an HR objective that we're reporting out occasionally. Like, Every month we're getting in front of the senior leadership and we're talking about where we are against this objective. So it's definitely front and center now. Yeah, that's great. I'd love to actually dig in a little bit on the diversity and inclusion. And I've actually even heard a couple of leaders recently flipping it around and saying that calling it inclusion and diversity and putting more weight on the inclusion piece. I'm curious if the recent events and the protests and this national conversation, has that changed your view at all or accelerated anything? Or, you know, I'm curious how, how have things evolved in light of that? It's not dissimilar to our the journey we've been on around decentralization in the sense that we, we've been on this journey around diversity and inclusion too, inclusion and diversity. You can I, I think you can flip them. The thing I wouldn't do is separate them. I think uh, right. we should always talk about both. I think sometimes the diversity piece can be harder in some ways, especially in, in tech. That doesn't mean you shouldn't focus on it. And the inclusion piece is an imperative. So you have to think about them, I think, together, whether you, you say one or the other first. But we've been on this journey and really trying to take, take it to the next level. So when all of 
the things that happened recently happened, it didn't feel like we were in reaction mode with our employees. You know, they've been reporting out quarterly the last couple of years about where we are on our, on our numbers and our metrics. We provide a dashboard for the company so anybody in the company can look at our dashboard and see the diversity by team. So again, it's self-reported, but it's, it's, you know, we don't hide that. We do annual pay audits, promo audits. We're transparent about that with our company. And so they've seen, and we've had these, we have nine amazing business resource groups that have, we've been really working closely with to get us to the right place. So when all of this happened, I'm not to say that we've, we've nailed it all. We don't have a, you know, stuff to work on. Of course we do. But I felt like the company understood that this wasn't reactive or lip service that this is part of a broader journey we've been on. And we just, it gives us even more of a galvanizing rally cry to say like, how can we even accelerate and, and move faster? And, you know, we have a very bold vision for 2025, which is around becoming 50% women in our organization and 25% underrepresented from underrepresented communities, 10% black, 10% Latinx, and then multiracial and indigenous to round out the rest. So Aggressive goals around diversity, we're never going to take our foot off the pedal of that because I don't, I don't think you can nail inclusion if you don't have a diverse workforce. Yeah, um, right. When I talked about decentralization, that, that's actually a key driver of it. You know, we thought if we really want our company to reflect our service and we really want to be diverse, we've got to tap into broader talent pools that are more diverse and be more inclusive of where people can join us from, um, where people, they, they want to live in a different community and be around family. They still want to be part of Twitter. Let's be open to that. You know, we don't have to force people to move to San Francisco. And I will tell you, I decentralized the recruiting team and our HR business partner team. And now we've got people on the ground who are bringing people into the company who either want to work full-time remote or they, they want to work in one of our offices that are outside of California, but still be part of Twitter. And it's, it's definitely helping with our diversity efforts. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's definitely accelerated things for us as well. I think, you know, we had we had been having conversations and talking a lot about it. And for me, it was something that, yes, we should do and we should, we should you know, delegate that to the people team to, you know, the evolution is now I'm embracing that as part of 15.5's core mission and, and involved directly. And so, you know, I think there's a lot of positive conversations and change happening in that regard. I'm curious when you set targets like that, how do you guys relate to that and hold the vision while not also a lot of people have talked about, you know, being careful that you don't want to engage in tokenism. And I feel like there's a fine balance in art there. I'm curious how you guys hold that. Yeah, so there's some things that I think are really important around that. And it's it's around making sure that you really have diverse pipelines. And I, mm-hmm. again, it goes yeah. back to what I said about making sure that we are expanding our talent pools, that we are looking at places where we have really diverse talent, so we can make sure that the pipelines and the slates that we have for our roles are very diverse. And so that helps us make sure that as if you have the, the top of the funnel, you've got lots of diversity and you've got the right practices in place throughout that funnel to land the right candidate, you're going you're gonna to have a more diverse workforce. And yeah, so that makes sense. Uh, making sure that um, we're trying to root out bias in all stages of the process making sure that the way that we do sourcing, we, we allow the time because making sure you've got a diverse slate sometimes takes more time. And getting that buy-in from senior leadership to, to say that, you know, we're going to take the time to make sure that we've got the right slate before we make a decision on who the right person is. And as you know, anytime a role is open, everyone's like, I feel it now, I feel it now. Um, and we even have metrics pr- previously where, you know, our, our recruiters were scored against time to fill, if you will, you know, how fast they could fill roles. 
And those are the kind of metrics that don't drive the kind of behaviors that land over slates because they're they're just trying to to get a role filled quickly. So it's the first person that someone meets or someone from their own network versus like, okay, let's just take a step back and make sure that we're really casting a wide net and and really looking at this from a, a number of lenses, making sure the panels are diverse as well. Uh, you know, those are important things, not just not just to make sure you're rooting out bias in our interview process, but also making sure that the people who are coming through have an opportunity to hear different perspectives and understand uh, what Twitter really is. And we, we really value diverse perspectives. We really value the diversity that is our company. People come from all walks to Twitter. People come from all different backgrounds. And what makes us special and our culture special when people get to celebrate that and really be themselves. That's really great. This has been a fantastic conversation. I've got one more question I'm just curious about because, you know, Twitter's so public and there's so many conversations that are of national and global interests that are happening all the time. And sometimes they're challenging conversations. I'm curious, you know, does that weigh on on your employees in a way that has your job at this organization be different than at a company that doesn't have such a public persona out in the world? You know, it's interesting. You know, it definitely feels like you're in a bubble sometimes. It's very hard to predict um, what's going to be happening on our platform um, and our, our service because, again, we're very global. And, you know, there's a lot of talk here, obviously, what's happening in the United States, but there's lots happening across the globe on our service. And it is, I think, just something that the people at, at Twitter are just passionate about our purpose and of the service. You know, the fact that all employees are really on the service. And, you know, there's lots of different services out there that run platforms out there where people can engage and show what they're working on or, you know, show what they're doing in their personal life. But when your company is a service, that's where all your employees are. And so you share, share that experience with everybody. So it's just, and it's something that we screen for, right? You know, it's, you have to be very adaptable to be a Twitter employee because, you know, you might have your plans, but things could change because things are unpredictable. The world is unpredictable and things are happening on our service and we're responding to it internally as well. And so I think it's uh, people who are wired a certain way who find that exciting and, and have a resilience around, you know, sometimes that can, you know, thrash you a little bit, but um, we're just, again, it just comes back to that. This is why we're here. And, you know, it's, it's kind of what we signed up for. And it's exciting for us because, you know, it's, it definitely helps you feel that sense of purpose because it's just out there all the time. I will tell you, you know, there have been other places that I've worked where, you know, I'd go home for the holidays or something and hardly anyone would ask me about my job. You know, they'd say, oh, it's nice to see you. But, you know, there people have feelings about Twitter um, and they're, right, yes. they're very willing to share. Um, so it's just, people are just, it's like, oh, you work at Twitter and people are proud. I mean, we have swag is really big. You know, it's, it's funny. I've, I've never been at a company that where people are more proud to wear their swag. You know, people inside the company and outside the company are wearing their Twitter gear um, and people engage with that. But yeah, there's a lot of pride there. It's really good. I see your Twitter, Twitter pillow back there. <laughs> That's great. Well, this has been great, Jennifer. I really appreciate your sharing some time with us and, and with all of our listeners. I think uh, some, some really great gems in there about how you do things and the, the future world of work. And I love, the, love to hear how you guys are leading, leading the charge and all that. I appreciate the opportunity. I really do. Thank you. Thank you to our producer, Counterweight Creative, to our executive producer, David Misney, and guest coordinators, Sydney Lee and Suzanne Haight. 
One of the easiest things you can do to help us spread the message of being and becoming your best self at work is to write a review on Apple Podcasts or just share this episode's link on your favorite social media channel. If you have any questions or comments, please email me and Shane at podcast at 155.com. We'd love to hear from you. And finally, thank you. Thank you.